We are going through a series together in the five solas, and today we're going to be focusing on faith, sola fide, by faith alone. And we're going to be focusing a lot in the book of Romans today, but I also have some other verses I'd like to read to kind of give us a definition and understanding of what this faith is all about. Here's the way the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Romans 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that comes or is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Romans 3, verse 19, Paul wrote, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Father, last week we learned that this grace you've given us is truly amazing, and so is this faith. A faith that allows us to believe and accept the offer of eternal life when we trust that Jesus Christ and he alone is the Savior of our sins. I pray today, God, that you will help us to learn even more that not only are we saved by this faith, we live by it. Sola fide, by faith alone. A great foundational truth for all who believe. And we thank you, God, for what you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last December, Carla and I went to Ohio to visit our daughter, Kimmy, and our son-in-law, Garrett. It could not have been done without faith. First of all, went out early in the morning, got in the car, drove 65 miles an hour, inches away from the bumper in front of us, believing all the while, what? That if the car in front of us stopped, my brakes would work. Now, did I go out that morning and inspect the brakes? No, I didn't. I careened down the freeway like a maniac, 
all by faith. When I got to the airport, check this out. I walked up to a counter to a guy I'd never seen, took all of our luggage filled with our personal stuff. I hand it to this guy. He puts it on a conveyor belt. It goes through a door to who knows where. And I'm trusting that on the other side, somebody's going to take that thing, put it on the right conveyor to get it in the right plane. It's going to get through the transfers at Chicago. And when I show up in Ohio, my stuff is going to be there. I couldn't see any of that. It's all by faith. And more than that, after we send our bag through the hole to who knows where, Carla and I walk down this other hole on a ramp onto a metal gas tank with wings called the plane. We sit down on this thing. We're told that a couple of guys up front are going to fly this thing who we never saw and didn't know. And we're trusting what? They know where they're going. They know how to fly it. More important, they know how to land it. And when we finally come down, we're going to be in Ohio. I couldn't see any of that. It was all by faith. You can't live without faith. It's in every prescription you take, every meal you eat in a public restaurant. It's all by faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. The assurance or the evidence of what we cannot see. Even more remarkably, about 40 years ago, I met a guy at a Bible study, a guy I, had, I did not know, who went back to our apartment and opened up a Bible which I had never read. And he told me that in that Bible I could know a God who I had never known. And I could learn about his son who I had never met. He told me about a sin that I didn't know I had and about a Savior who went to a cross that I didn't know happened who paid for my sin so that he could take my death and I could have his life. He paid that price, was taken down, buried in a tomb, rose again the third day, and he was alive. And he was offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who would believe and receive him. I believed it. And God saved me. Because I believed in what I'd hoped for, even though I could not see. People, that's what faith does. Sola fide, faith alone. That's why Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, from beginning to end. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel, the reformers rediscovered that any hope of ever being accepted as righteous in the sight of a holy God would never come about by their own efforts, by their own works, or their own religiosity. They learned that works Righteousness doesn't work. You can't be right with God by trying to keep the law of God. It'll never happen. Paul said in Romans 3 verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. We're all accountable to God whether we acknowledge it or not. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, 
Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the law, the commands of God, and all of his word given through Moses and the prophets was not given to save us. It can't. The law was given to make us conscious of our sin, Paul said. Because if we become conscious of our sin, we may become aware of our need for a savior. And so apart from the law, God has revealed how the righteousness we need is actually given to us. Romans 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Which is why Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved sola fide, by faith alone. Saving faith is the gift of God, Paul said. Faith is a noun, something you either have or you don't. Paul said it's a gift. God gives it to you. It's something you have. Faith doesn't save you. God saves you through faith. When we respond to God's grace and faith by believing. Faith is the noun. Believing is the verb. Faith is what you have. Believing is what you do. It's our response to God's grace gift. That's why Paul was so careful in the book of Romans in chapter 3, verse 22, to say this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, what? Believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Faith is the confidence in what I hope for. This plane will take me to Ohio. Believing is acting on the faith and stepping onto the plane. Faith is the confidence in who God is and what God has said about salvation in his son. Believing is opening my heart to Christ and asking him to save me. We are saved by grace through faith. God gives grace and faith, and we're responsible to respond to that grace and faith and believe. In John 1, John said in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Paul said in Romans 10 in verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses 
all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, this is why the reformers preached the gospel and staked their lives on doctrines like sola gratia and sola fide and the other solas. Because, you see, they realized that people could not be saved and declared righteous by their own works. They had to hear the gospel. They had to have that gift of faith. And they had to believe and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they proclaimed it, even at the cost of their own life. Because they believed what Paul said in Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Does everybody believe when they hear the gospel? No, they don't. Paul said in verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is why we preach the gospel. People are going to receive this faith when they hear the gospel somehow. God gives them that gift. And if they will respond by believing, they are saved. This is why we preach the gospel to everybody. Romans 3, verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Sola fide, by faith alone. That's why today we're learning that the righteousness we need and the hope that we want is given by God's grace through faith alone. Why is this such an important foundational truth? Because it's through faith alone that we are declared righteous. It is through faith alone that we can live righteous. Through faith alone, we are declared righteous. Paul put it like this in chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We all need righteousness to stand before God. But we apparently all have a different understanding of why we are righteous or how we are righteous. I was reading a piece Craig Brian Larson was quoting from a book by Brian Burrell. The book was called In Words We Live By. And uh, Brian Burrell was telling about a robber named Dennis Lee Curtis who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had scruples about his thievery, it said. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper in which was written the following code that would make him more righteous than other robbers. This is what he said. This is what it said on that sheet. I will not kill anyone unless I have to. 
noble. I will take cash and food stamps, no check. I will rob only at night. <laughs> I will not wear a mask. Okay? I will not rob mini marts or 7-Eleven stores. If I get chased by cops on foot, I will try to get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. I will rob only seven months out of the year. And I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, this thief had a sense of righteousness, Pharaoh went on to write, but it was flawed. Because when he stood before the court, he wasn't going to be judged by the standards of righteousness he had set for himself. He was going to be stood, he was going to be judged by the higher law of the state. And Burrell went on to say, likewise, when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged by the code of righteousness we have made for ourselves. We're going to be judged by the perfect law of God. You know, we might laugh at this, pre, at this uh, thief, but almost everyone has a similar code. I hear it all the time. Oh, I, I know I'm right with God. I believe in God. I'm a good person. I go to church. I've been confirmed. I've been baptized. I've taken communion. I teach in Sunday school. I believe my Bible. You know, the prophet Isaiah was told by God, all your self-righteousness, all your righteous acts that you claim are like filthy rags to God. That's why Paul said, no one will be justified, no one will be declared righteous by our own works or by trying to keep the law. There has only been one man who has ever lived who kept God's law perfectly and never sinned. His name is Jesus. And what we need is for God to give to us the righteousness of his own perfectly righteous son. The good news is God has done that. For all who have faith in Jesus and believe. Paul said in Romans 3 verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This righteousness, Paul said, has been made known apart from the law. It's been made known in the person of Jesus. It's been made known in the gospel. You see, the Old Testament testified to this, Paul said, and the New Testament fully reveals it. But salvation has always been by faith. Justification has always been sola fide, by faith alone. Justification is a judicial act of God where at his bar of justice, People who put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe are declared righteous by God in his sight. 
they're declared righteous. They're justified. That means that God imputes or transfers Christ's righteousness to us when we believe. Vinnie Angelo, one of our resident theologians here and our, one of our great Bible teachers and author of week four in the workbook, put it like this. A simple definition for righteousness is the way things ought to be. And justification is the activity of declaring something to be right. By faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God, by grace through that faith, imputes or transfers to us Christ's righteousness. We are then declared at God's bar of justice to be right with God. God declares it to be so. Then he went on to say, the perfect judge in the perfect court has publicly declared that he has given us his righteousness. We still have many flaws, but God doesn't look at us as being guilty anymore. We're seen the way we ought to be. Everyone who puts faith in God is immediately declared to be the way they ought to be, right with God. And then he said it's called the great exchange. He then quotes Martin Luther who said, God transfers sin, death, the curse, and all the evils that oppress us from ourselves to Christ. And on the other hand, to transfer righteousness from him to us. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Romans 5, verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And what joy Paul must have had when he wrote Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Which is why Paul said in Romans 3 verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, it's wrong to think that people in the Old Testament were saved by works and people in the New Testament are saved by faith. It's not true. It's always been by faith. Faith in Jesus. Now, Abraham was given, who's the father of our faith, he was given in the Bible as that example, which is why Paul uses him in Romans 4, verse 1, to build his case. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. 
Abraham believed the promises of God, but he also believed God, that what God was telling him was true. And if he put his faith in what God was telling him, he would be declared righteous. Now, what's significant about that is Paul had said in Romans 3 that God, in his forbearance, had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Because those who had faith in Jesus would have their sins paid for at the cross. So all the sins of the past were going to be paid for at the cross. All the sins of the future were going to be paid for at the cross. All the sins of the present are paid for at the cross. So all of Abraham's sins were paid for at the cross, but he was justified back then because he believed what God said. And Paul said, you are justified when you had faith in Jesus. See, Abraham didn't even know Jesus' name, but he put his faith in Jesus when he put his faith in God and what God had promised him. That's why later on, when Jesus is confronting the religious leaders, you remember what they were saying? Oh, our justification is we have Abraham as our father, so we know we're right with God because we have Abraham as our father. Remember what Jesus told him in John 8, verse 56? Mind-blowing. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it by faith. He put his faith in what God promised him. And by putting his faith in God and what God had said, he was declared righteous. And God said, now, Abraham, that faith that you have that I've declared you righteous, I'm going to pay for that sin at the cross. So as to prove at the present time in the cross of Christ that I am a just God and I justify those who have faith in Jesus. Amazing. Paul said in Romans 3, verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. People, have you seen what Abraham saw? Are you here today? Have you believed what God has said? that we are sinners separated from a holy God, that we cannot earn righteous standing before him in our own efforts, that Jesus took our sins to the cross and died there, paying our price, was buried in a tomb and rose again, and he's alive today offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who will believe and receive him. Do you believe that today? Have you seen what Abraham saw? Because if you have, then you have faith, saving faith. And when you believe, and receive Christ into your life, you'll be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And not just declared righteous through faith alone, but through faith alone we can live Christ's righteousness only by faith alone. Paul said in Romans 3 verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? 
Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We uphold the law. The law is of God is good, and it needs to be upheld. I was driving with Carla recently down this street. We were looking for someone's house. wasn't exactly sure where I was going, and I had been on the street before that I remembered. I was going about 45 or 50, seemed reasonable, and I even remember saying to Carla, honey, I, I don't know what the speed limit is here, and I jokingly said, I could even be breaking the law right now. I don't even know it. Well, just moments later, a sign appeared, speed limit, 35. And I realized, whoa, I am a lawbreaker. Now, I didn't know it up till that time, but the sign made me aware of what the law was. The law made me guilty. Now, the fact that the law made me guilty, does that make the law bad because it made me feel guilty? No. The law is good. The law did what it was supposed to do. It made me sense my guilt and a need for change. People, in many ways, now that I know what the law is on that street, now my job is to uphold the law because the law is good, and now that I know what it is, I'm to drive the speed limit on that road. I'm not to be a lawbreaker there. I'm to show that the law is good. In many ways... That's what God's righteous law does for us. The law of God doesn't save us. Remember Paul said the law makes us conscious of our sin. Many of us don't even know that we're breaking God's laws. We don't know that we're guilty before a holy God. But the law comes in and once we hear it, we realize, whoa, I'm breaking God's law. I'm a lawbreaker. The law makes me feel guilty. Is the law bad? Because it makes me feel guilty? No, the law is good. It is God's law. It was doing what it was designed to do. It's making me aware that I'm a sinner and I'm needing a Savior. The law is good. But now that I have this faith that lets me see God and his law is good, I'm to uphold that law. I'm to show people what that law is good law looks like lived out in a person. That's why Paul said in Romans 3, verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. The word uphold means to establish. It causes to stand, to fulfill it. Our faith doesn't nullify the law. It doesn't abolish it. It doesn't make it void. It doesn't make it of no value. It doesn't make it bad. Our faith upholds the law. By the way we live and by the works that flow out of our lives, we demonstrate and establish that the law of God is good and has done his work in us by making us realize we were sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to uphold it, to fulfill it, to show us what God's perfect law looks like lived out. Remember in Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law taught the law, but they didn't live it. They didn't uphold it. They lived in contradiction to it. Paul said, you don't do that if you're saved by this faith. You uphold the law now. You live this law out by faith in Jesus. Because it's not our righteousness that upholds the law, it's his. The righteousness that has been transferred to us by faith is now the righteousness that Jesus is living out through us. I'm not doing it, he's doing it. When I hear his word and I believe it, and I obey that word, Jesus lives his righteousness out. People can see that the law is good and make them aware of their own sin, that they too might turn to Christ and be saved. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why is God glorified by the lives flowing out of your righteous life? It's because they're seeing it's Jesus and not you. So they're not glorifying you, they're glorifying God. That's when Jesus said in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, this is why James, the Lord's brother, spoke so much about how faith and works flow together. James said in James 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but, doesn't, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And say the words, but there's no works. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now James appears to be contradicting Paul when he says in verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That phrase, considered righteous, is the same word Paul translates justified. So, James is saying, you see that a person is justified by what they do and not by faith alone. 
It appears to be a contradiction. In fact, Martin Luther once called James's letter a right strawy epistle, meaning it's a epistle of straw. There's no substance to it. But he later changed his view when he finally understood the important point that James was making, that our works show justification. They don't contradict sola fide, they magnify it. Paul in Romans and James in his letter are stressing two different aspects of biblical faith. Vinnie Angelo in the workbook this week said, Paul is stressing or explaining how a person becomes justified and James is stressing how a justified person lives. Paul is stressing justification. James is stressing sanctification. Justification is when we are declared righteous by God when we believe and put our faith in Christ. Sanctification is God working out his righteousness in us as we put our faith in his word and obey it. God is sanctifying us, setting us apart from sin's power and sin's presence because he has already saved us from sin's penalty. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian, Bible teacher, once put it like this, to believe that we are justified by our good works apart from faith is to embrace the heresy of legalism. To believe that we are justified by a kind of faith that produces no works is to embrace the heresy of antinomianism. Antinomians believe, well, oh, I'm saved so I can live however I want. There's a lot of antinomians alive today. The relationship of faith and good works is one that may be distinguished but never separated, he wrote. Though our good works had no merit to our faith before God, and though the sole condition of our justification is our faith in Christ, if good works do not follow from our profession of faith, it's clear indication that we do not possess justifying faith. The reform formula is we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Sproul went on to say, when James declared that faith without works is dead, he asserted that such faith cannot justify anyone because it is not alive. Vinny Angelo said in the book this week, so James is talking about validating your faith while Paul is talking about getting right with God. God saves us by faith and includes us in his plans of redeeming his creation through the, through the good works he's prepared for us. These works justify to the world that our faith is true and that we are his children. The Apostle Paul would agree. For this same apostle who made it very clear that we are saved by faith alone and not by works was the one who said in Romans 2 verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. R.C. Sproul wrote, it's not just those who hear it who please God, but it's those who obey God's will in the law by faith who will be declared righteous. That's why James said in James 1 verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It was Paul 
who said in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You can't be saved by the good works that God has prepared in advance that once you are saved by this faith, then by that same faith, he will produce the works in you that will declare to everyone that you belong to God. Sola fide. We must learn by faith in God's word and his Holy Spirit how to live the sanctified life set apart for God. Jesus will work his righteousness in us for his glory. Paul was right. The reformers believed the righteous shall live by faith. And what a difference, what a confidence that faith makes. You know, I had a contrast in my life. Um, when I got saved, many of you know the story. I'll try to spare you too many of the details. Many of you have heard it already. I was living, I was roommates with a guy who was a starting running back for the Seattle Seahawks. It was the start of a new year for the team. And he got invited to a Bible study. He didn't know the Lord, neither did I. He said he was going to come, and he invited me. And to this day, except God's grace, I have no idea why I said I would go to this thing. But I went. When I got there, we're sitting in a room full of players and wives. And the Bible study leader said, since our first one for the year, let's go around and give our testimony. I had no idea what a testimony was. Never been to a Bible study before. So it gets around to me, and I gave my testimony. I have no idea what I said. It must have been memorable. <laughs> and when I got through, everyone in the group knew this guy hasn't got a clue. So Ken Hutchison, one of the linebackers, says to me, Larry, I want to talk to you about Jesus. We went back to our apartment. Hutch said, Larry, I want to ask you two questions. First one is this. If you were to die today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, I didn't ask you if you think so. I said, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I didn't ask you if you're pretty sure. I asked you, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? Well, no. I'm not that sure. I mean, I don't know if anybody can be. And he said, well, I want to ask you another question. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? He's asking me the Kennedy questions from Evangelism Explosion. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what he's asking me. So if you're to stand before God and he says, why should I let you in, what are you going to tell him? I said, well, uh, I believe in God. And Hutch's face is expressionless, and I realize that obviously wasn't the right answer. <laughs> So then I'm trying to think, now what do I say? And so this is what I said. I'm a good person. Nothing. I said, I, I love my mom. I'm not sure why I did that, but I picked that. <laughs> I threw in, I pay my taxes. He's, he's not moving. I said... I don't kick dogs. I have no idea why I said that. I was grabbing for anything. He didn't change. He said, just as I thought, you don't get in. I said, I don't get in? He goes, no, you don't get in. 
you ever read God's entrance requirements for heaven? I said, man, no, I never knew there were any. He turns in his Bible to Matthew 5, 48. He spins his Bible around, slides it across the table, and he points and said, read that. It says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then he says to me, are you perfect? I said, no, man, I ain't even close. He said, then you don't get in. I said, that's it? I have to be perfect? Yep, you don't make it. And I was in a panic. Then he got a big smile on his face and he said, but I can tell you about the one who can get you in. His name is Jesus. And I believed him. I believed what God had said. Now fast forward a couple of years. Carla and I are living in Oregon. I'm going to school, study for the ministry, and uh, serving as a youth pastor in this church. We're in this building that on one side looks like the entrance to a church as you come in the parking lot, but on the other side, it was a house for the neighborhood. It looked like every other house on the street. Very interesting building. So we used to get interesting people coming to the house side all the time. So one night, I hear this knock on the residential side. I go downstairs. I open the door, and these two kids are standing there. Kids. There was a guy and a girl. They're probably in their early 20s. Obviously nervous. And they say to me, uh, we're from such and such church, and we were wondering if we could ask you a couple questions. I said, sure. So the guy starts and he says, if you were to die today, <laughs> are you sure you'd go to heaven? I said, absolutely. 100% positive, no doubt, completely confident. I am absolutely assured that when I die, I'm going to heaven. The guy goes, you are? <laughs> I mean, I don't think he'd ever heard that answer before. So then... The little girl speaks up, obviously more nervous, and she said, well, sir, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you tell him? I said, oh, that's easy. I said, I, someday I'm going to stand before God, and so are you. And when I do, this is what I'm going to tell him. God, you and I both know I don't deserve to be here. And on my own merits, I never would be. But you told me that you loved me. And that you gave your son to die in my place for my sins. That on that cross, he paid my full price. He was taken down from the cross and buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose again victorious. And he's alive. He offered me hope, forgiveness, and eternal life. And you told me that if I put my faith in him, if I would believe and receive him into my life, you would declare me righteous in your sight. And so, God, I'm here today to say I'm standing before you not in my righteousness, but in his. Because I believed what you told me was true. You see the difference faith makes? confidence in what you hope for, the evidence of what you cannot see. Do you have that kind of confidence today? Because you and I are all going to stand before God, and we have a choice. You can stand before God in the filthy rags of your own attempts and justification of your own righteousness. 
or you can stand before God in the spotless robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why this doctrine is so important. The reformers understood it. They believed that it was only through faith that you could ever be declared righteous. And only through faith do you ever have what Christ would live out through you, the very righteousness that he alone possesses. Paul was right and the reformers believed. The righteous will live by faith. It's always been that way. And someday, our faith is going to be rewarded by sight. You're going to see it face to face. God, this is our hope. This is what we believe. By grace, we are saved through faith. And it's not ourselves. It is the gift of God. That's why today, while you're praying... In a moment of quietness, I just want to ask you really quickly. Do you believe God today? Do you believe God when he says that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? That all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory? Do you believe God today? When he said that Jesus Christ took that sin and died with it on a cross to make that payment. Do you believe God when he said that Jesus, having made that payment, was buried in the tomb and rose again three days later as he promised? Do you believe today that Jesus is alive, offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who will believe and receive him? Because if you believe that today, then you've been given a gift of faith. You've heard the word, and you have faith. Now you need to act on that faith. You need to respond by believing by inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life. Confess to him that you're a sinner. Ask to him to come and live in your life and to forgive you, to apply that payment. Acknowledge that you believe that he rose again and commit your way to follow him as Savior and Lord. If you do that today, you will know the truth, the same truth I learned the night I believed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sola fide by faith alone. If you receive Christ into your life today, I'd love to have you come up to the prayer room right at the close of the service. We've got some material to give you to take home to read. It will strengthen this newfound faith. Father, I want to thank you today. You're still saving people when they believe because it's by grace through faith and not by works. I want to thank you today, God, for that great gift that fueled the Reformation. But more than that, it saved me one night when I believed it too. And it saved everyone in this room and everyone in the hearing of my voice across the country and across the world, wherever they're living or wherever they're listening on this live stream. Salvation is by faith alone. The faith given in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Thank you, God, for this great gift. We don't understand a lot of it. We just believe it. And we know someday our faith shall be sight. And we praise you in your precious name. Amen.